The first lesson this morning comes to us from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And from 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is the the last Sunday in our series of God's blessings, eight weeks. We have spoken about God's love, about God's forgiveness, God's Son, the Spirit, God's gifts, God's understanding, God's new life, and now today, God's will or peace and reconciliation. For the Apostle Paul, God's peace and reconciliation are the cornerstones of how one does faith. Peace and reconciliation are paramount in in being able to live in the community, especially in the community of believers. That is one of the reasons why I've kept these ideas, these texts, this sermon, dare I say, until today. I believe it's where the rubber hits the road on several levels. It's the how of, of God's blessings. God gave us all these gifts and today God shows us how to use and fulfill them by the ministries that you and I are called to. Through the texts today, we we see the practical application of 
of what Paul affirmed from last week in Romans when, when he wrote that although sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Over these, over these past few weeks, we've seen God's power to redeem is active and super abundant, breaking across all the barriers and through any resistance. As surely as sin's power is lethal, even more so, even more so is God's power evident in those who belong to God, first justified and then sanctified. I believe that the life of faith is infectious, that God has called us into peace and reconciliation. Peacemaking and reconciliation are, after all, what Paul sees at the heart of the gospel and therefore of the life of faith. And you and I, we are called to be committed to that peace and reconciliation, that love and forgiveness. We are to live in peace, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And in our faith as the body of Christ, peace, love, reconciliation, and forgiveness are the overriding factors of our very being together, our gathering together. The call to peacemaking and reconcilement is not restricted to the expression between believers alone, but also is the way that believers like us should relate to each other, to unbelievers, and even and especially our enemies. As people, uh, as people of faith, I believe that we cannot look at any other human being, any other human being, from a human standpoint any longer. Just like Paul had to learn to behold Christ himself as the incarnate God, not simply as a Nazarene rabbi. For once we've discerned Jesus to be the Savior of the world, we cannot limit our views of other human beings as dwelling beyond Jesus' reach. We cannot see, we can't see any person as any other thing than being one for whom Jesus has died and risen, and thus as one also to become a new creation. Our faith forces us to think about the lens in which we look at our neighbor and even the world as a new creation. The task we take on, the task we take on is called the ministry of peace and reconciliation. You, you hear that said when we ordain elders. Ministry of peace and reconciliation. We become ambassadors of this expanding generosity of the gospel to the world. We are, we are pushed as the community of believers to understand our baptismal vows and vocation in our ministries. A serving effort of reconciliation, a serving effort. The question posed to the early church and to our churches now is whether this sign of hope this uproar, this uproar of God's peace and reconciliation is going to be central to the life of the community in the place 
where it's to be located. I believe this is all bringing us back to how we look at others, how we look at our neighbors. We can't look at each other from our own narrow perspective. Do, do I like him? Do I agree with her? Or he gets on my nerves or she really bugs me. I didn't mean to look at you, sorry. <laughs> Rather, you and I are called to look at one another through the waters and mark of our baptism. In the community of the church, we look at our traveling companions, and that's what we are. We are traveling companions as new creations. Not looking at the old, for all have been made new through baptism. Why? Because it all comes from God. All comes from God. So we are all challenged to discover in those around us, those that we see, those that we meet, those that are with us, the call and the gift of God that's bestowed upon every single one of us. In fact, what Christ did was not offer humankind a new religion or a new code of behavior, not a new, but, but he offered us a newness of life. We know this to be true because Jesus told us that he came that we might have everlasting life. So we as a church do not need to sweet talk or pressure or threaten folks into following Christ. We must as a church offer them a way of becoming and of being something. Something, someone different, changed, renewed and able to be born again. All done and motivated by generosity and compassion justice, and love. All this is possible because God has already worked to reconcile us with God's self and with one another. That's what God has done. God has already done it. So we must translate peace and reconciliation to life in community. It means that we as individuals are not required through our own work or ingenious methods to form or build, or... No, no. The community, the new creation in Christ already exists. It's already here and present with us. The challenge posed to us, the believers, all of us, is the discovering the presence of God that's already active, already acting in the lives of every single member, and then expand that to include our neighbors. The source of the ministry of peace and reconciliation goes hand in hand with forgiveness. We're reconciled because we know ourselves to be forgiven. Already the intention of that sometimes impossible, that impossible gesture of forgiveness or the desire to live forgiveness in one's heart without being able to speak it in words opens a way for the world to hear the good news. The call to reconciliation and forgiveness is not a small matter or one that we can easily dismiss. The path of forgiveness and reconciliation 
paves the way of ministry that we each are called to perform. The, the future for individuals, for nations, dare I say all of humanity, and even for the earth, will depend not on staking claims, not on protecting our rights or guarding our boundaries, not in waging war, but in the difficult discipline of reconciling forgiveness. My homiletics professor, Dirk Lang, Professor Dr. Dirk Lang, he, he cautioned us that the divisions in Christianity are scandalous. At the time, at the time when he said that, I thought, really? That's a strange comment. Scandalous? But now, but now, we, we must never stand by to the scandal of the separation of Christians. All who so readily confess love for their neighbor and yet remain divided. We, you, you and I, must be consumed, consumed with burning passion for the unity of the body of Christ. Professor Lang called the division among Christians a scandal because something that continually divides the body of Christ and the division of Christians nails Jesus to that cross one more time. Over the years, I've come to understand what he's saying. You see, there, there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of Christians that have become divided, more interested in our ways or our programs or our worship, how we do our mission, how we do Christian ed, who's in, who's out. It's our way of, of doing things. For a lot of Christians, it's my way or the highway. The scandal, I believe, is really that we confess love of God and our neighbor, but remain divided. It's too easy to say we love God and go about our daily routines as if nothing has changed. And we cannot say we love our neighbors and not help those in need. We just can't throw money at it. We must jump in with both feet. We must immerse ourselves in it because ours, yours and my ministry, is an action of love. The moment of love, the ministry of peace and reconciliation does not come out of our own strength nor does it depend upon our own efforts. God has cleared the way, so to speak, to by reconciling all of us to God's self and inviting us into this large, generous, this, this broad vision of humanity and creation. In fact, the whole intention of God's law and the divine commandment, according to Jesus and to Paul, is to exercise a power of will, which is given for one purpose, one overwhelming purpose. To love. A love that first came from God and was given to us to spread so that we could and can be ambassadors of that love. Yes, ambassadors. We, we you and I, are ambassadors. 
were called out into the streets to go outside the four walls. Ambassadors do not stay in their own country. They go out. The community of believers, we, we ambassadors, in every local community, in every local church, in our church especially and beyond, are called to live and in and out of our baptismal vows to become a beacon of hope, a beacon of joy, of peace and love, of reconcilement, of forgiveness, in the place of God where he puts us. Letting God's future break into the world, we must begin to say as ambassadors, all, all are welcome, and we are happy to see you here, regardless of your status, your sexuality, your gender, your race, your size, your anything. We love you as a member of the body of Christ, one of God's own. And if we are not ambassadors, if we're not ambassadors, if we do not reflect the face of Jesus in all that we say and do, then we, the church, we, the people of God's church, quench the Holy Spirit and suffer a sentence of being lost as we face a world that needs a blessing from the horn of salvation. My friends, next Sunday we begin to celebrate and contemplate Advent. Advent! Christmas is almost upon us. A time for that tongue to be loosed and the mercies of God proclaimed from the mountaintop. May it be so. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you, and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.